Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have session keyboardist, producer, and songwriter, Dave Cohen. You're going to hear Dave's story of growing up in Canada and what first got him into music. You'll also hear about his time touring with Joe Nichols when he first moved to Nashville, some of his favorite songs out of the 50 number ones he's recorded keyboards on, producing Cover Me Up for Morgan Wallen with Joey Moy, and more. I had a great time talking to Dave. I hope you guys enjoy the episode, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. How you doing today, Dave? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. So getting right into your story, you grew up in Canada. What was your childhood like? Um, it was a great childhood. Um, I started playing keyboards very young. Um, when I was four or five years old, my grandparents took me to their friend's house and there was a piano in the house and I guess I was able to learn um, uh, uh, Mary Had a Little Lamb pretty quickly. Uh, and so there was a little kind of, oh, maybe we should uh, do more of this. Um, and so my parents put me in piano lessons and I continued doing piano lessons until I was 13 or 14. And then I was like, screw piano lessons, I'm done. Uh <laughs> Uh, I want to go do other things. Um, and then in high school, uh, I started playing with some friends of mine. <clears throat> and we started a band and I started jamming with the band. And then keyboards kind of piano started being cool again for me. Yeah. Because uh, it wasn't just piano lessons. There was like an end to it, which was jamming with friends. Um, and then... Uh, graduated high school, went to music school, uh, or I enrolled in music school um, uh, in Toronto, which was across the country. I grew up in Calgary out west and then oh, wow. moved to Toronto, which was kind of the, the easiest thing for me to get into uh, out of high school. I was, you know, not a fantastic student. And so... Um, at the time, it was like, oh, I can just play piano and get into college as opposed to like looking at my math scores, right. uh, which weren't fantastic. So um, I went with the path of least resistance and went into music school. Um, and that was awesome. And I met a whole lot of cool people. Music school is very like forced practice for me because I'm naturally a kind of lazy guy. So the the time and effort you need to like excel at an instrument i uh wasn't naturally uh uh driven to that and so going to music school was like okay well you're being tested on this in a month so you better get practicing yeah. so i was like okay i can do that um until the writing was on the wall for me i wanted to get on the road uh, I just wanted to be on a tour bus. Um, 
And so I had that opportunity and I uh, dropped out of music school uh, and said, thanks for everything. I finished, I finished like a year and a half, two years ish of, of school um, and got most of the sort of music related credits out of the way. And all that was left were a whole bunch of like English classes and stuff. And so I'm like, I'm not sticking around for this. I don't <laughs> right. need a degree for to, to play the piano. So uh, I said, thank you. I'm out of here. <laughs> and went on the road and started touring. Um, and uh, it was clear to me that Canada, there was a bit of a ceiling there for um like if you're playing with a canadian artist that doesn't reach outside of canada if they only tour and play in canada um there's a maximum amount of shows you can play a year cuz there's a it's a small population compared to the states so the bigger the artist gets the less amount of shows they're able to play cuz there's only 15 if you're being generous 15 major markets in canada mm -hmm. and once you stop playing all of the small little towns in between the big towns if you're only playing the arenas in the big big cities then a tour across canada gets done pretty quickly right. um so i was like okay uh, i there's more out there so i was like i need to move to the states um and I was like, New York, Nashville, L.A., those were kind of the big options. And Nashville seemed the coolest. Um, I knew a couple of people in Nashville. Um, I wasn't really interested in L.A. New York wasn't my vibe. Um, and both of those places are really expensive. So yeah. Nashville at the time was even cheaper than it is today um to to live in yeah. um and so i um picked myself up and went to nashville and started touring and uh, toured with a whole bunch of artists until the road didn't make me happy anymore you know and and all at one point all i wanted to do was get on a tour bus and I'll, I'll play anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Just get me on a bus. Let's just do the thing. And then at some point, I was just like, I'll do anything to get off of this bus. <laughs> get, get me off of the bus. After, you know, after about 10 years of, of doing that, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. Yeah. Um, when the road manager goes like, you guys are playing Jimmy Fallon next week. And I was going like, uh, it's going to be a 4 a.m. lobby call. Oh, it's an early flight. Oh, it's a thing. It's like when you're complaining about that, it's like, okay, maybe it's time to remove yourself from that situation. <laughs> um, so I got off the road and started playing sessions. Um, and that went well. And I started doing that over the years. Um, and there was a point where I was playing sessions and I was really lucky to get some of these awards and the the get the nod from your peers that you got you're doing great um and i was started to get worried that like do i do is this what i do for the rest of my life yeah. like do i just play keyboards on session like i should be so lucky that would be great but i have this like 
what's next kind of thing um, that I like to, I just get a little antsy uh, if I'm stagnant too long. And so I'm like, I started having this conversation with a friend of mine who was a producer uh, um, that hired me for sessions, whose name is Joey Moy. Yeah. Um, we've all heard of him. He's a brilliant extraordinarily successful producer and fellow Canadian. And um, he basically helped me out and was like, uh, you know, I, I kind of was like, tell me about production. How does this work? And eventually that turned into uh, co-production and we were, I was working kind of for him with him uh, on uh, a whole bunch of records for a couple of years and um i did that for a, a whole yeah well for a couple of years and um started to branch out and i started writing as well so i started writing and production and i was still playing sessions and that's kind of where i am today just spinning the plates i'm trying to keep all the things happening so one day i'll be on a on a recording session at a, a at another studio at a you know at a big tracking studio and the next day i'll be here at my studio writing with artists and the next day i'll be here working on a production for an artist so there's kind of uh i get to do all those things now kind of staying in your childhood for a second who are some of the first like bands you remember hearing around the house that kind of made you feel a connection to music like early on yeah, I, I mean, my dad is like big into the Beatles and James Taylor and the Eagles. And um, I got into all of that stuff. Like I fall, I, I loved all of the music that he loved. And uh, so learning music from, from him was awesome. And then just learning music from the radio. You know, yeah. I was I was born in 85. And so in 1995, I was 10 years old and was listening to what was on the radio, which was a lot of like Max Martin and a lot of pop music. Um, and so that sort of seeped into my brain. Now, do you remember like when you were listening to records like in high school or maybe even playing along with them? Did you already kind of have that session musician mentality where like, what if I play behind here? What if I play ahead here? Kind of doing your own thing or kind of what was that like when you were consuming music? I didn't have that awareness at the time. Uh, I didn't know what any of that stuff was. It was just kind of playing by feel. Yeah. I wanted to learn. I was big into like fish and jam bands and stuff like that. So I would... My whole thing was I loved just like learning solos and learning. That was my practice. Uh, I would find a keyboard solo either in like a, you know, Boston with uh, foreplay long time is like a great organ solo. That whole song is this big, long organ thing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to learn this. And so I would do that and, and um, that was the most helpful thing for me to like get things under my fingers and figured that out. And it wasn't until I started playing professionally, uh, like in band, in in like as a side band in in bands, that 
things like time and feel and rushing and pulling and and all of those nuances were brought to my attention yeah because the drummer would i remember the first time a drummer was like hey you're rushing <laughs> a lot uh just keep uh, listen to the click pull it back that kind of thing i was like oh okay i didn't know like i didn't realize that was a thing yeah i just thought you know the as long as I don't lose a beat on the click, then I was good. But mm -hmm. there's more nuance than that. So, so it turns out. When you first moved to Nashville, you uh, auditioned for Joe Nichols and get the gig. Tell me, uh, take me through that time of life. And what did you take uh, from your time with uh, Johnny Reed in Canada when you first kind of joined uh, uh, Joe's band? Yeah, I mean, um, that was the first time that uh, with Joe Nichols, um, I had moved here with the gig with Johnny Reed, uh, who is like a big, he's, he's a huge artist in Canada. And then he, you cross the border and he just kind of, he lives here in Nashville, but he's kind of lives uh, uh, an anonymous life. He gets off the plane down here and he's just Johnny Reed, the, the guy. And then he gets off the plane in Toronto and he's on a billboard up there and he's doing tv commercials and stuff like that like he's he's a big artist up there and so um i was looking for uh a, an artist based in the states to work with and so when i first moved to town um i was playing on lower broadway here in nashville i was playing i was saying yes to anything that would come my way playing little showcases Jam, open jams there were a couple of like musician nights that were the place where all the road musicians hung out and that kind of thing and so um through friends of friends that go uh, you know someone said hey um do you want to audition for a band they said i already have a gig but call dave uh, he's new and is looking for something. And so uh, I got a call from uh, Dan Agee, who is, who's now a writer-producer here in town. He was Joe Nichols' band leader at the time. Mm -hmm. And Dan said, come out for this audition at uh, Soundcheck, which is like a big rehearsal hall here in Nashville. And uh, I auditioned and we jammed and I got the gig. And so... I mean, the Johnny Reed thing was very important for me to, like, everybody needs their first gig. You need your first gig to, you know, figure it all out. What is life like touring? What's life like on the road? How do you carry yourself in different live situations? And so... I was able to walk into the Joe Nichols thing, not a complete beginner to the road. Uh, I'd already been on tour bus. I already knew how in-ear monitors worked and I knew how to program sounds that sound right and do all those things. So uh, I was new in town, but I had already had, a, you know, I had a bit of, I had some skills in my tool belt um, to to kind of show up and and do a good job. Totally. 
Now, what was that decision like to come off the road? You touched on it a little bit, but I'm sure it probably was a big like lifestyle change for you as well, kind of becoming a session musician in town instead of going on the road every weekend. Yeah, it was huge. Um, I needed, for me, I was a Canadian citizen. Um, so I needed um, a, a green card to live and work in the United States. And so to get the green card, I needed a sort of steady job. And so and then once you get the green card, you can kind of go off and do whatever you need to do. Um, but I needed that. And so once I, um, so my goal was to get a green card and my goal was to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Um, and for both of those things to happen, I needed a steady paycheck basically to, to look good to a bank uh, uh, for them to lend you money. You know, they, they look for a pay stub. Um, and so um, once I got those two things figured out, um, then the road thing kind of became like a job. It was, uh, and I uh, just started noticing myself not being, you know, I was looking for other things to do. I was kind of bored. When you're on the road, you spend way more time, uh, uh, killing time than you do exactly. playing music. Hurry up and uh, wait. Uh, totally so you know i was golfing five days a week i was you know and going like i'm too young to be golfing five days a week like (laughs) maybe there's something else i can do with my life and so yeah so getting off the road was important for me and then that process took some time um but it's amazing how once you make a decision and actually pull the trigger um how people's perspective of you changes and once you call yourself a session musician then you're a session musician yeah you know you may be a session musician that's not that busy yet but there's no official you know you don't need a degree you don't need a certificate you don't need anyone to tell you you're a session player you tell them you're a session player and so with that attitude, I, on that day, I decided to be a session player. I got off of the road and um, that, that wasn't my uh, end to road touring. Um, it, was, it was almost like I didn't quit the road. I decided not to commit to one road gig. So I had opportunities pop up to go sub in for bands or, hey, will you do a, this tour? It's one month long. We're going to play 25 shows in one month. Can you do it? Absolutely. Uh, 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 that helped me sort of pay the bills during my transition. And then as that happened, uh, uh, sessions just slowly started to pick up. Now, you've gone on to play on over 50 number one songs for people like Keith Urban, Sam Hunt, Florida Georgia Line. Which songs stand out to you that you feel like you're most proud of uh, when you think back on all those songs? Man, um, I mean, there's a lot of, it's like as a keyboard player, it's it's, uh, um, a lot of what you do as a keyboard player is a supportive role. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of pads, a lot of organ playing, a lot of that kind of stuff. And so this, the, this, my role in a lot of 
Keith Urban records and Florida Georgia Line records, and those records are are pretty, um, you know, like I I I'll play it for my mom and she'll go, uh, I don't hear you, <laughs> and I go, well, if you muted me, you'd you'd miss, you'd miss it, you'd, just like you the know. bass, you know, exactly. Like, what's that doing? I don't know, but it's right. there. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, songs like Sand in My Boots. Uh, uh, for Morgan Wallen, that's a cool high point um, where it's a you know piano vocal kind of song. Um, uh, Thomas Rhett, "Remember You Young," uh, is a cool like piano driven song, and I played accordion on that, and so I got a lot of a lot of FaceTime, so to speak, on on those kind of songs. Um, I did a song for um um for oh god i'm just having a blank um garth brook wife uh, oh, trisha trisha yearwood oh my gosh <laughs> okay cool trisha yearwood who's more than garth brook's wife obviously um I played on a song on her record and that was a piano vocal song. And they put, um, it was a duet with Don Henley. Of oh, wow. Eagles. And so uh, there's a song, um, I think it's called love you anyway. Um, that, uh, it's me, Trisha Yearwood and Don Henley, uh, which is just a cool thing. That's really cool. So those are some, some, some of my highlights for sure. Now you mentioned uh, working with Morgan. You actually co-produced "Cover Me Up," which has just became one of the biggest songs in his like catalog. Even though it's not originally his song, kind of talk about like the process of working in the studio with that one. Not only uh, co-producing it with Joey Moy, but like, did you have chills when he was recording it? Kind of like how we do as listeners when we hear it. Yeah, it's definitely it's like you know when a song is going down that when it's working. Okay. You know, sometimes you have to spend time. You got to work on things. You got to rearrange things. You got to give a lot of direction to the band. But when it when it all comes out really easy and naturally and everybody kind of just knows what to do, um, that's when you know you're kind of onto something special. Um, you never know, like you're, when you're recording a song, it's you're not, you're not recording a hit song because you don't know then it's just a song um so you know it's like we you don't know what it's going to do but that song for sure felt right from the from the start now as a session keyboardist when you're listening to the radio in the car and you and you know you didn't play in the song is there a way for you to hear to be like oh i bet like david doran played this or i bet this is alex Wright, or can you like differentiate when you hear like certain people playing different things i mean yes and no it's kind of like a lot of the time i'll know who it is like based on who the artist is and then i know who produced that and i can make an assumption um but uh you know it's like the sonic footprint fingerprint of david dorn uh and and uh, alex Wright. it's like yeah you can for sure hear those guys and go that you know that like i can i i think i can <laughs> and then i'll say like oh yeah that's for sure alex right and then i'll look at the credits and it's dorn mm -hmm. uh 
or some, you know, I'll, I'll go, oh, that that's, that sounds familiar. I think that's so-and-so. And then I'll look it up and it's actually me. <laughs> so, you know, when you play on so many songs, sometimes it all gets jumbled up in your brain and whatever. But um, yeah, everybody has their own kind of sonic fingerprint that you can kind of kind of listen for. I'm sure. Now, you uh, signed your first publishing deal with Spirit Music Group. Kind of talk about that process and what it's been like to kind of start songwriting more. Yeah, uh, that whole process has been really, really cool. Um, I have, um, at that point when I signed the deal, I had sort of, if you think about a linear life cycle of a song from the moment that it gets the the songwriters sit in a room and they go, what if we write a song called this? And then you write that song. The, the next thing is you take that to a, 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 a studio with a demo band and you record a demo of that song. I had had experience basically from that point onward, uh, recording it in the demo capacity, turning a demo into a record, um, taking that record and touring it and playing it live, playing it on TV. So uh, I, I kind of had this full circle view of how to make music sort of from scratch, except for that little part at the very beginning, which was the songwriting thing. And so during the pandemic, during COVID, we we're kind of like locked down um, and uh, talking with some people and I'm like, I am really, I think this would be a cool thing to, to, to do and to dig into, um, to sort of complete the full circle musical education of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and it's been super cool and it, and it definitely makes me a better producer. It makes me a better keyboard player and vice versa my production experience makes me a better songwriter uh, and 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 all of that so it's all really symbiotic um and there's for me it, there's less of uh, a defining line between songwriting producing it's like it's all the same thing you're just trying to make music that feels good right now, I like to close my interviews by asking, what's a piece of advice you'd give to the younger musicians out there? Not only the ones that want to be session musicians, but as a producer and someone that's always in the studio, what's a mistake you see younger artists make when they move to town as well? Yeah, I think there's, um, I think for all the players out there, I think that um, just take a breath and relax. Uh, and if you can give yourself the gift of, of an extended timeline of expectations. If you can, if you go, okay, it's a five-year town and in two years, I want to be doing this. And in three years, I, I think I should be doing this. And you go, well, I've been here for four years and I haven't done this, but this guy's done this. And if you can take those timeline constraints and relax them a little bit, um, you can give yourself a gift of like a generally happier life. And while you're living that happier life, you're actually a more attractive musician to work with because 
you're a chilled out cool human being um and if you're the type of musician that's just oh i you know you're wrapped up in in the i should be doing this or that guy got this gig i didn't get that gig all those things that is only uh like a, a weight on you um kind of slowing you down um and for artists very similar um you know you do your thing and they will come to you um it's often really the easy to um try and bend and contort yourself to what people or what you think people want you to be and these kind of things but if you do you um and be a natural version of you then that i think is the most effective uh way to be an artist um i feel like most of the people on the radio uh uh that you look at are people that are sort of being their authentic selves you know uh, i think if you look at jelly roll like that's not an act that's just how that guy is if you look at Ernest, like that guy is like that all the time. I've known him for so long and he is that guy uh, all the time. Um, and rarely do you, does the guy backstage and the guy on stage, uh, there's rarely a huge disconnect with the real ones, I think. Well guys, there you have it. My conversation with Dave Cohen. Dave, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone go follow him on Instagram at Dave Ross Cohen and make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with producer and guitarist Jess Gromit. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews and also follow Starting Small Music on Instagram at Starting Small Music and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. <laughs>